Welcome to What Goes Around podcast. Thank you to everyone now who's been listening to the series so far, who's liked and subscribed and told their friends and kept up with us on social media, won themselves a few tasty bits of merchandise. Uh, it's all wonderful. The podcast audience is building and that's all down to you. So thank you so much. If you haven't hit subscribe yet, please do. If you haven't told your friends yet and everyone you know, uh, please do, as long as you think they'd like the podcast. But uh, your listenership and your support of the pod is very much appreciated. So thank you. And we're going to kick off this week's podcast talking about Anne's obsessions, because she can't just like something, she has to ruin it for herself. And not only that, she's going to drag us kicking and screaming into the frightening world of football songs. You're very welcome. Eamon is going to ring the death toll this week for print media. It's a sad, sad day. And keeping on a sad and slightly moody tip, we're going to talk to Derek Anthony Williams, singer, songwriter and goth of the Jan Doyle band and he's going to take us deep into the darkness and make us believe in the powers of gothic music I'm looking forward to that one as, as we're both ex-goths Eamon ja. should be a good one uh, also with us today sharing his phonographic memories is the brilliant filmmaker Kieran J. Walsh fellow Irishman and uh, cousin of our very own Eamon Murda let's pod should we pod let's, let's do a pod right now <laughs> a big one <laughs> What goes around? Well, I, I <laughs> so I posted up on Twitter recently, just an inane sort of comment. Well, that's mainly what I use Twitter for. As Twitter, <laughs> yeah, as that's your, your your brand, right? Yeah, there. <laughs> just inanity, um, stream of consciousness nonsense. But I, I posted up the other day um, that I wish I could. Um, I wish I could just like something instead of getting obsessed with it. <laughs> I have to go too far with everything, music or whatever. I'm that person who will listen to a song until I hate it. Oh, really? Um, yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I trained myself out of that. I used to do that when I was younger and I, I physically restrain myself now because otherwise you ruin things for yourself. I know, I have no physical restraint. I just destroy things and move on to the, move on to the next thing. You sound like Godzilla. <laughs> In many ways, I am Godzilla. Um, A musical Godzilla. <laughs> But um, so so um, this is going to sound unrelated, but it isn't. Um, okay. Jackie Charlton died, as you probably know, a few weeks God ago. God bless Big Jack. Indeed. And um, he I, I, I'm not a football person, but he certainly was a, a figure in my life because mm. the furthest Ireland ever got in the World Cup was when they got to the quarterfinals um, in 1990 uh, in Italy. And um, I was five years old. And so it was just everywhere. Anyone yeah. who sort of was in Ireland or who who is um, taken in any kind of culture that was produced in Ireland at that time will be aware of what a big fucking deal it was. Anyone who's read or watched uh, The Van, um, the uh, Roddy Doyle book that mm. was made into a film, which is basically just about a guy who runs a burger van over the period that Ireland are, are in the World Cup, uh, will know what a big fucking deal it was. Um, and I remember, I have such such strong memories of like, uh, being on the school bus and like everyone with their fucking Ireland Italia 90 stickers and <laughs> da, da 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 It was really, really big deal. Um, but there was also this uh, song. And I don't know if English people or British people or people outside of Ireland know this song, but it was called Put Him Under Pressure. 
And uh, uh, yeah, 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 did yeah. You, did you ever? It, 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 it is. I mean, it's 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 a terrible football song, isn't it? It's one of those. <laughs> well, this is what I wanted to talk to you about. So allow me to to pad this out with a little bit more context, because. Um, as soon as I heard that Jackie Charlton died, I got a bit sad about it and I started listening to this song again. And it has a, a riff uh, that was taken from a, a record that was put out by a band called The Horse Lips, who were a bit like Thin Lizzy, but with more Irish folk, you know, fusion. <laughs> <laughs> Something that kind of, yeah, it's slightly less cool. Um, but uh, the bass player from The Horse Lips, actually, his son was a friend of mine at school. And one time I went around to his house and he let me hold his shamrock shaped bass guitar. So that was Whoa. a formative moment as well. Um, but yes, shamrock anyway. shaped. You're shitting me. <laughs> That's the law in Ireland. I mean, they got That's rid of that so law funny. a while ago. But, <laughs> but yeah. Oh, laugh it up, Eamon. The song was huge. It borrows this riff from this song by The Horse Lips. And it sort of interspersed with these quotes from Jackie Charlton. The chorus, which I remember roaring along to on the school bus when I was five years old, um, is like, uh, we're all off to, to Italy and we'll really shake them up when we win the World Cup. Obviously, it was never going to happen, but that was, the, that was the, the crux of the song. And it's sort of interspersed with these quotes from Jackie Charlton, which are supposed to be kind of inspirational, whatever. But I got obsessed with the song after Jackie Charlton died. Tim mm. made a secret video of me putting my makeup <laughs> on in the bathroom, playing the song over and over and over again, Eamon. I must have played it like six times in a row. So you just totally like, you went right down that wormhole. Uh, yeah, I, I caned it. I mean, it was a bit, I was in a nostalgia trance, so there was mm. that as well. But, um, but the actual words from Jackie Charlton are like, we're going to go and we're going to play the game. We've qualified for the World Cup. Let's see what happens. Like, it's just the most feeble. That's air punching stuff, isn't yeah, it? Brilliant. It's so fucking feeble. And then there's this there's this sound bite of him at the end when the music dies down, and it's basically him just being like, "We got a bit of sun. We ate a bit of dinner." Now we're back. We're gonna have a drink. <laughs> he said, "There's so much relief in his voice." <laughs> fantastic um, yeah. but yeah it, it was just like I say I was in a nostalgia trance listening to that track I got over it pretty quickly and uh, I just thought it was so funny how actually how uninspiring the same rights were it's quite underwhelming when you say it out it's, of context it's so good it's so good um, but, uh, but yeah I, I guess I was curious to know I mean you expressed some disdain for the fact that it was a football song I'm wondering um, if any, anything to do with sports or something like that has swept you up in that same way or if you're deeply cynical about that kind of thing, novelty oh, no. songs. No, I, yeah, I, I have a, a soft spot in my heart. I mean, like, so I, I, I love my football, um, and I think, um, funnily enough, like, I'm a Manchester United supporter for my sins. I never knew um, that. Have you just oh, never yeah, broached this with me because you well, thought you wouldn't get any point. chat? I took one look at you. And thought, <laughs> <laughs> she's not going to give a shit. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, well done. You're very protective. Well, now I know about Big Jack. I can talk about Big Jack for hours, um, but. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I was into it for sure. Uh, my team are famous for their catchy number that goes glory, glory, Man United, glory, glory, Man United, glory, glory. I think it does it about 147 times. Mm. So it's not the most inspiring thing in the world. But I do remember, for example, not my team, but it was the FA Cup and Spurs had Chaz and Dave. For, for two years running, I think, Chaz and Dave did a song for Spurs in the FA Cup. Ooh. And the best bit about it was they had Ozzy Ardiles, who was the Argentinian World Cup winner, who could barely speak English. And in the, <laughs> it was called Ozzy's Dream. And in the middle, they said, Spurs run the weight Wembley, Spurs are going to do it again, and blah, blah, blah. And then it cuts to Ozzy Ardiles, and he goes, 
in the cup for tutting ham. And it's, it's so beautifully naive and kind of badly sung. But everyone's very pleased for him, you know, because he was a great player and the fans absolutely loved him. Um, so I've got some soft spots and weirdly not for my team, because like I say, Man United have always been associated with pretty terrible music over the years. I think there's one really good sort of Calypso song and there's Uar Cantona, which is good, but the rest a of them Calypso are... Calypso song? Oh, oh yeah! The famous the Manchester song? United. Ah, oh, listen, I'll, 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 we'll stick it on the playlist. Okay. It's, it's a good one. Um, but, you know, there have been a few over the years. Like, you know, I remember Ron's 22 and all that sort of stuff when England were going in the World Cup. And I can remember the horror that was the uh, Anfield rap which Even I remember not, that. Do you remember that one? Because <laughs> yeah, that okay. was a stinker. <laughs> Liverpool FC are hard as hell. It's like Run DMC, like at the back of the local wreck. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, listen, there's, I think, I think you, if you're caught up with the emotion, it's like the phonographic memory section, you know, you, like, I will never forget the emotions of some football tournaments I've watched. And I can remember my mate, Easy, we used to run a house club. And on one of the, the big nights, it was during the World Cup when it's France 98 and uh, England played Argentina. And Michael Owen scored this absolutely unbelievable goal where he got flicked through from Beckham and skinned about three guys and smashed it in the corner. He was only 16 and everyone was absolutely jubilant and um the next week we had uh, i think we lost that match by the way oh. <laughs> typical england fashion but it was a moment do you know what i mean it was, it was one of the best football matches i've certainly ever seen anyway so the next week we had our big rave and uh, easy was playing this sort of big chunky tribal house music thing and then off his mini disc he had the commentary and his Owen's going through, he's going on his own, oh! you know, and it just, the whole place went absolutely ballistic. It was such a brilliant moment. It was lovely. So, yeah, you know, it's all about motion, isn't it? And it's all tied up with that sort of stuff. Personally, I would have to say that most 99.9% .9 of football records are a terrible, terrible injustice to your ears. <laughs> you've you've um you you unlocked a memory which I had um had buried very deeply with your mention of the Anfield rap. We got more stars than the cast of Dallas. We got more silver than Buckingham Palace. Welcome. We 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 welcome. To Fortress Anfield. People are going to write in and say, ah, oh, but New Order did World in Motion and John Barnes did his rap. My unpopular view is that John Barnes cannot rap and that was a bad rap. It was a fairly good football song, but it was a bad rap. So sorry, JB. I'm a tough critic and I say no. No comment. You can take the flag for that. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. You play for Liverpool as well. They've, they've had enough fun this year. That's over with that. Let's, let's move on. Come on. <laughs> Still cross. Eamon, a.k.a. DJ Eops, tell me what goes around. Magazines are, are, are really 
done for at the moment, you know? Mm. Q Magazine has finally closed its doors. Mix Mag has stopped publishing a physical version. I think Kerrang! and Metal Hammer have done the same. Loud Quiet has become a sort of Patreon thing, and I don't think they've got enough money yet to carry on. You know, and we've already lost, you know, Enemy and Melody Maker and Sounds and all that kind of stuff. But it feels like we really are now in the death throes of the physical format magazine. And much as I've um, I've sneered, certainly at the NME in latter years, sneered at uh, at some of them, um, I don't want to be in a world without them, you know? Mm. The, the music papers, when they were really writing some great stuff, and there was a good few years when there was some brilliant writing, interesting, thought-provoking discussions on music... And it's been quietly disappearing up its own ass for about mm. 20 years, I guess. But with the advent of technology and now COVID having shut everyone down for so long, just some of the really, the big mainstays have fallen now. You know, the the thought that there's no Mix Mag next month and no DJ Mag and no Q. I mean, Q is a bit like the Jules Holland of, of paper publications <laughs> in that yeah. it's a bit your dad watches you know so and so music magazines to me are very much uh, associated in my mind and certainly at the time when I was reading them the most they were all part of this idea of signifying to other people what you're all about for me mm. so I used I mean Smash Hits was amazing and like yeah. I still, um, you know, it, it went so shit in the sort of mid-90s onwards, uh, but I used to get Smash Hits and I used to get Select magazine, which was just so rude. And um, mm. Did you read Select? Yeah, and you got so tape good. with it. You used yes. to get tape with Select. So many great tapes. We've talked before about um, about trying to find your tribe, uh, mm. you know, with clothes and music and everything else. Like that, reading those magazines was, was a, a huge, um, played a huge part in sort of me trying to, show the world who I was. Did I actually read them, Eamon? Rarely. <laughs> I carried, <laughs> just, them, around just carried them around. <laughs> oh. my arm. But I still bought them, you know. Yeah. So, I, But I, I guess I feel like now that everything's gone online, obviously music journalism, I was only, obviously I read them. I was only joking. I spent all my pocket money on them and I there was no internet <laughs> at that time. There was nothing else to read. Um, but everything's gone online in, ter- in terms of um, the, the, the information, the articles, but also the way that people express themselves I think has mm. ch- do you think that plays it is that just me or do you think that plays a part in it as well no I, th- I think I mean it has it, all changed very much I mean for a start you can answer back now and yes, yeah. I mean I used to read all these magazines because I worked in a record shop and I had to know the charts and know what was coming out and all that sort of stuff so I, I was proper cover to cover for many many years they like say in those days if you wanted to answer back you had to be you had to be Morrissey really and write a really <laughs> long letter because he seemed to be in it most weeks but um <laughs> yeah you know it, it wasn't Life is quicker now, you know. If I if I see something, I can get in the comments and start arguing with a stranger almost immediately, whereas <laughs> yeah, it would have taken true. weeks to get that kind of enmity with a stranger in those days. Mm, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Media has changed so much. That's such mm. a banal thing to say, but it's true. Like, even just, I mean, I probably get most of my information from podcasts now, which is a thing that yeah, didn't didn't yeah. exist. In, in, and in I, it's interesting to note, actually, that a couple of the um, the, the music magazines are looking to become more of a podcast i think it's loud quiet and i've heard rumors about some of the others and i know mojo does its own very dry podcast they should hire us they should well you know didn't we send them something and they They said when they when they saw our our request to investigate the podcast they they say we only normally review (laughs) well-researched thought out podcasts so that's us we've done a lifetime of research yeah that's true that's what this is all about i guess I don't know. So it was such a thing. 
Um, and it was really important to me. And it was, yeah, I, I mean, I used it to signal all the time as well, definitely, especially with the enemy. But I think what made me feel a bit sad for it this week was with Q, when it went, there were a lot of, um, you know, really big name writers now. Uh, but the sad thing is that, that where are these journalists going to work? Mm, who's who's going to be writing that stuff? I mean, are our websites profitable enough to support the level of music journalism that we, we've been used to? So we're having a great time doing What Goes Around podcast and it's brilliant to get to know all of you out there in What Goes On pod land. And uh, we'd just like you to feel free to get in contact with us a little more often. And you can contact us by email. At whatgoespod at gmail.com is the email address. That's right. And your start of a turn is what is our Twitter address? At whatgoespod. And what's our Instagram address? Whatgoespod. What's our Facebook page called? It's What Goes Around Podcast. That's the outlier. <laughs> This week on Make Me Believe, we backcomb our hair and hang upside down like a bat, whilst Derek Anthony Williams of the Yann Doyle Band tempts us to the dark side. Goth is one of the most enduring subcultures around and continues to reinvent wearing black and looking weird. Derek's night shift promotions company has played a vital role in re-energising the scene by promoting live events across the country, championing the new wave of goth, with acts such as Byronic Sex in Exile, Holy Braille and The Web. This is Derek Anthony Williams here from John Doyle Band, popular beat combo of the North, known for making music that appeals to them, their goths, among other people. That's why I'm here, you see, because I've been asked to talk a little bit about goth and what I think it's all about. Is goth is a difficult question to answer because you get um, all manner of various offshoots within the genre. All I can truly tell you is what goth is for me and say what it is that I particularly like about it. place of uh, having atmosphere and uh, energy and intensity of feeling perhaps you could say 
After all, some of the more popular acts that are within Goth aren't necessarily ones which would accept the tag, say Susie and the Banshees, Sisters of Mercy and uh, Joy Division. The thing is, what they all have in common is an intense atmosphere and an imaginative feeling of otherworldliness quite often and typically you do get a rather dark atmosphere but it's not all to do with bats and vampires and so forth Why don't white transducent black capes that on the ground We get the different forms of goth where we have uh, say people dressed in leather and shades more like your typical rock band but then there's the likes of uh, myself perhaps you could say uh, who prefer to put on a more theatrical extravagant appearance which is another aspect of goth which I definitely enjoy and indulge in the ideas of transformative uh, power within the music and subculture to be extravagant and express yourself in a manner of dress. Those opportunities to express in that extravagant way is the big appeal for me to be something more than everyday life and to put on a, something dramatic and intense of feeling. I, for me, I take from it, I quite like the goth that can be a bit threatening and scary, such as when Susie might do uh, Voodoo Dolly, an intense sort of seven to ten minute uh, operatic almost, you could say, uh, in terms of how it is put over squall of sound in which intense passions are put over and threatening scary atmospheres and she seems to whip herself up into a whirling dervish for me Susie and the Banshees are really the ultimate even if they uh, would perhaps not call themselves goth, well they don't, they say they're still a punk band no matter what It's we have a huge variety of music within the oeuvre of uh, Susie and the Banshees but it's those intense dramatic moments which are what really keep me coming back for more So if you're looking for a genre of music which will take intense dramatic feelings and put them on display, then without doubt you can indulge yourself in a lovely bit of goth. 
probably best off not actually mentioning that word. to have writer, director and producer Kieran J. Walsh with us this week. Kieran has a long and distinguished career behind the camera producing, writing and directing films like the inventive thriller Jump and the upcoming comedy drama The Racer which follows the travails of a cyclist caught up in a doping scandal. His TV work is equally entertaining and a generation of 90s kids will never forget his inspiring Channel 4 TV series A Young Person's Guide to Being a Rock and Roll Star and he even had a hand in the Grace Jones biopic Bloodlight and Bambi all of which makes him a uniquely qualified person to appear on our show. He's also my cousin, so he couldn't really say no. <laughs> Hello, Kieran. Oh, hi, cousin. How are you? <laughs> I'm all right. We could have kept it a secret. I thought, you know, put out all the cards on the table. Absolutely, yeah. Kieran, I didn't realise you made A Young Person's Guide. To, I didn't realise you made that. Me and my sister were obsessed with that series. It's so funny, actually, because uh, a lot of people come, uh, they find out that I was involved in it, and they say... You have no idea how, how how much I was into that show. Like you know what I mean? They're really like it's unbelievable. Like you know, I did at the time. It was it was exciting, but I didn't realize that it would reach that it reached so many people. You know, it's um, it's weird because I guess if it was happening, you know, if, if it came out more recently, everyone would be all over Twitter talking about it. Because I definitely felt like it was this niche thing that me and my sister stayed up late to watch. But obviously, it was uh, it was much more populist than uh, than I realised. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was ch- Channel Four, so it obviously was geared towards uh, mm. uh, kind of a cult, kind of young people mm. sort of channel that it was, you know. But I just went around the town to, uh, to, waiting for people to talk about it, and going, oh, "That's me. That's my cousin." <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. No, we're really good friends. Old times. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, I've lived vicariously off your fame, which is nice, you know, and, stuff, uh, it, and it really was. I have to say that that, that show, um, I mean, it, I was like glued to it every week. And um, certainly all of the musos of my age in that time, we were all talking about it and everyone loved that. And it did seem to have an effect that um, not many shows did at the time. So well done there. Mm. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was uh, it was great because you got to meet a lot of these guys. Um, I mean, <laughs> At the height of Britpop, we had uh, Noel Gallagher in the show, you know, yeah. um, which was a, a moment. I just, you know, kind of thought, wow, like you couldn't get any better than this in, in this particular show, you know, about a band that wanted to, you know, make it in the world of rock and roll. Mm. Yeah, so, it was yeah. really on the zeitgeist, wasn't it, I think? Yeah. Has music always played a part in your decisions to, to work on different projects? Has that always been kind of a subtext to what you decide to do? Well, actually, uh, I mean... To be honest with you, music was the starting point. Um, I, I started with music, and at one stage I thought I was going to play. I thought I was going to play, you know, mm. uh, and did play in a couple of bands, and and was. But you know, 
a kind of just then uh, an opportunity came about to to make films which didn't exist in Dublin before that you know mm -hmm. so this opportunity came about you know a course got started and that's what kind of got me toward it you know but music was always my first love and probably still is something that I'm I have a natural affinity for and uh, and, and something that I, I get excited about um, and the idea of putting music and images together was was what really excited me. Mm. So yes, it was it was a it was a it was a gateway drug. The music was a gateway <laughs> drug, you know. And and to, obviously, you know, we were talking uh, before about how you grew up just down the road from where I grew up in Dublin, yeah. and uh, I feel like Dublin has a very specific feel to its music scene. It all sort of feels very homegrown. There were lots of like pirate radio stations and little record stores and stuff that I used to love in Dublin. What was the music scene like for you? Uh, in Dublin, how, how do you feel about it, and how did it come to affect your taste? I guess. Yeah, I mean, it was. I did always feel when I was growing up, uh, and the formative years were uh, sort of the mid to late eighties, I guess. Mm. But I, I always felt that Dublin was severely lagging behind the rest of the world, and then Dublin in the eighties was a pretty depressing place, to be honest. You mm -hmm. know, you know, it felt like. Um, I, I've been to like cities like Cuba, which is a fantastic place before. And when I arrived in Cuba, I noticed that the lights, the street lights were on a lower, like were much dimmer than they would have been uh, in London, mm -hmm. where I was living at the time. And it just reminded me of Dublin in the 80s. It was like the, the lights were at a lower wattage. There wasn't enough power in the city. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. Um, it was kind of just really quite and high on high unemployment and uh, really when I was finishing up in in art school it was like the next step you step out of your convocation uh, ceremony where you get your degree conferred upon you and the next foot is on a boat to the UK <laughs> I mean really <laughs> and some people took a plane yeah. to America yeah I mean it was just honestly um, there was no choice there was absolutely no choice there was no films being made I was being yeah. trained for something that there was no films being uh, being made for. But anyway, the, the music scene at the time was, you know, it was just probably as exciting uh, a thing that, that existed in, in... There was no film scene, so music was there. And uh, as I say, I played in a couple of bands and, you know, we did what we could. There was no way you could make a living out of it. And there was the big sort of uh, the, the, the big shadow of U2 was hanging over the city. Yeah, I, I, I liked U2 growing up and I, I did enjoy it, but it was kind of, um, it was like national service. Yes, <laughs> sort of at, yes. at the time, you just, it was, it was unpatriotic not to. That's right. Could, they are considered the national band. They were. They really were. They really were. <laughs> yeah. Now so, it's more, uh, more strained than that, I feel. I mean, at the time, actually, there was a kind of a knee-jerk reaction against U2, uh, a kind of, uh, you know, uh, listen, it was probably begrudgery uh, mm -hmm. and that Irish jealousy that goes. But I mean, it was just people were reacting against it. They were thinking like, that's not who we want to represent us. That's mm -hmm. not who we, that's not us. You know what I mean? We yeah. are more than you two, you know. But yet, actually, when you look back at some of those early albums, they really stand up. You know, they really yeah. are quite an original sound. Mm, they're very credible. Yeah. But what, so what, who were you listening to then? Were you in, were you rebelling against the, the, the whole nation's love of you two? Were there any specific bands who you were really into at um, the time? Uh, it was kind of um, like the band, you two represented, it was the kind of Joshua Tree and that mm. kind of American flag wa waving stadium stuff that we all hated, actually. <laughs> yeah. mm. um, we were still kind of, it, so we were kind of more gothic 
um, a little bit new romantic, mm. um, and then veering in towards dance music. That's that's where we were going. And um, you two had none of those um, sort of qualities to them at all. So like it was like the cramps and. Uh, uh, the cramps were, were 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 something that we really loved. Um, I saw the Ramones live in '84, and I'll never forget it. You know, wow. I'm yeah. still a bit I'm still a bit deaf. You know, <laughs> um, that was in the TV club. I don't know if, if you if you remember a place Where called the that? TV no. club. It was uh, just on Harcourt Street or mm. Harcourt Terrace. Yeah, um, uh, it's been bulldozed a long time since then. Mm. I, actually, I think it was bulldozed just after the Ramones. <laughs> <laughs> the moon's probably finished it off. One blast, I one, two, three, four. <laughs> That's it. Bang. That was it. Gone. The last gig, you know. Um, and and then there was like you know I mean in art school you know the Smiths obviously were were massive and uh, uh, Aztec Camera and mm. a variety of stuff. Yeah, a variety of stuff. Um, talking Heads and um, and then a. Just uh, towards the latter t- time in art school, it was it was dance music, uh, and uh, actually one of the tracks you'll, uh, we will talk about was the thing that triggered you know the whole dance thing for 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 me and my my colleagues you know. Mm. Well, Kieran, how did it all begin, and where did it all come from? If that's where you ended up. Well, um, as you probably know, I was born in Birmingham. Uh, uh, in the like, uh, and this is this is Birmingham. What I'm going to describe is Birmingham in the late '60s. Uh, my parents were immigrants from 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 the west of Ireland, uh, God's country, as they call it. Um, and I was about probably two years old. Um, my dad was working as a in construction as a builder with his brothers, and uh, he was actually interesting enough. He was a he was a big movie fan, and that's also where I got my interest in, in, in cinema. Um, and sometimes he, he, he never drank, he never uh, drank alcohol, which was unusual, particularly in, for the Irish community in Birmingham at the time. Um, but he used to, so he used to go to the cinema an awful lot. In fact, he used to go like sometimes three times a day at the weekends, he'd go to three different screenings. And uh, the ir- irony of the situation was that as the, as the late 50s and 60s progressed, he ended up demolishing an awful lot of the cinemas that he used to go to see films in when he first arrived in oh. in, in, in the UK in Birmingham, you know. And um, so, anyway, my mother was a, a, a primary school teacher, and um, she gave up teaching to have me uh, first of all, along with my brother. Um, but my dad would leave. My dad would leave uh, in the mornings before I'd wake up. And he'd be back when I'd be going to sleep at night. So I, di- I didn't see him during the week uh, much. So the weekends I'd get to see him, you know. Um, and uh, I had really become quite accustomed to listening to the radio and listening to uh, listen to music on the radio and uh, singing songs that I'd hear on the television at the time. And my mother noticed this and she realized that I just had this love for music. Uh, and uh, I was t- about two, two and a half at the time. Anyway, so uh, one day <laughs> she decided she was going to go and have some driving lessons. So I was left in the, um, I was left in the capable hands of a childminder. Uh, and in the arms of the childminder, I watched a car pull up outside the house with a big L on top of it. I'd never seen anything like this before. 
Uh, and my mother got into this car with this man with this L, this big red L on top of it, and drove off, <laughs> right? I thought, I, you know, I, so anyway, what happened was my mother arrived back from her driving lesson, and my eye, one of my eyes had descended into the center, in, in towards the center, like a squint in the center of my, of my uh, head, right? Hmm. So, you know when you see those kids who got a squint, right? But that mm. happened immediately, right? So my mother came home and she said, what happened to his, what happened to his eye? And the child manager says, I don't know. He, she was, he was watching you drive off in the car with the L on it. And, you know, he got a, like he, all of a sudden he's got a squint. So <laughs> my mother was, yeah, really, my mother was absolutely <laughs> terrified. Like, now, look, it was a little bit of, of st- stress and tr- uh, traumatic shock, really, mm. seeing my mother disappear in this car with this man. Mm. But... But uh, it's, you know, people, kids get squints the whole time, you know, and uh, I'm sure it would have gone on, gone at some time. But so she came back and uh, I had to go into hospital to have an operation done to straighten the eye. Uh, and then I came out and I had a patch over one eye. And by way of trying to um, sort of make me, you know, because she felt so bad about what happened. Mm. My mum and dad bought a tiny little dance set record player. Um, the greatest uh, love of all yeah yeah uh, vibe, beautiful and it had such a lovely tone anyway she bought it and I used to lie in front of this thing with my ear to the to the speaker and listen to records and one of the records that um, she knew would kind of cheer me up happened to be Red Red Robin by Al Jolson because it's a kind of a slightly has a slightly nursery rhyme kind of feel about it but it also has a very upbeat kind of positive message. And I think she was trying to make me feel better and, and somehow make it up to me because she couldn't really speak about it because I was too young to, uh, I didn't really understand what was going on. I don't really remember the, the, the car with the L on it, or maybe I do. Three years later, we had to move back to Ireland, uh, which was a bit of a shock for me as well. <laughs> Believe it or not, the other eye would squint in Ireland. No. <gasps> I, I had the same operation done in Ireland, you know. So Did you get a personal these, stereo? Uh, <laughs> I got an orchestra outside the front of the house. Yeah, rightly so. <laughs> with, with, with lots of, the string section was in overdrive, feeling sorry for me with the violins oh, going, you know. That's a trauma, you. though. That's a real yeah. trauma. That's a trauma. I mean, mm. with, even without the, the squinting and the trips to the hospital and, and operations, like even just the fact that, that um, you had to watch your mum drive off in a strange car. <laughs> I mean, it's... It, 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 it must be quite a bittersweet memory that you have associated with this track. I mean, a lot, it's a, it is a bittersweet memory, but, you know, actually what overrides it is the track and what overrides it is the music. And I think that's what the power of music does. You know, it actually, mm. uh, that's, I guess that's why I picked this one, because I, 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 it's the first song I learned to sing. Ah. And it's the first, my first recollection of music. And I was only two and a half. And it happened to be Al Jolson, who's, questionable now because of his blacking up yeah. and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. however uh, I did read about the fact that he blacked up because he wanted to introduce black music where black music wouldn't wouldn't normally be mm-hmm. accepted and this was the only way he could bring it through actually you mm-hmm. know because they would not allow black people on the stage um, but he was actually very sympathetic to you know the plight of of uh, as, as he used to call it the negro spirituals and mm-hmm. all that kind of yeah. stuff you know so, so it, it, I guess that's the power of what I find the power of music is that it could do that. And it over, it over, it helped me overcome the trauma 
of what happened to me, right? Um, mm. So whenever you see a child with a patch over his eye, you just think, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's trauma potentially, you know? Yeah, that's yeah. true. I'd never, mm. I've, I've never heard of that before, of, of, a, of a kid getting a, a permanent squint from, from shock and trauma. I mean, if I saw a kid with an eye patch, I'd probably think either that kid's up to something or that's a pretty <laughs> badass kid. <laughs> How was it? How was how was it for you learning to drive then? <laughs> I passed my test first time, Eamon. I bet you couldn't wait to get out, could you? I couldn't wait to get out. Absolutely. I wanted to beat the guy up. You know what I, mean? oh, I think revenge. I told him the story, and he just said, "Okay, you pass." <laughs> yeah, that would, uh, uh, that would be the humane thing to do. Exactly. It is actually though. It's it's a lovely record. It is it's a it is definitely an upbeat, happy little thing. I can remember my mum used to sing that round the house all the time. Mm. Well, there's one particular line at the beginning which goes, you know, I'm going to pack my troubles, I think it's pack my troubles up in, my whis- up in, a, in a whistle. No, I'm going to pack, pack it up in a whistle and blow my troubles away. That's what oh, it was. nice. Uh, and I just remember that because that's what I was trying to do, actually. Yeah. Pack my trauma up in my whistle and blow it away. Well, I always remember, of course, from our family, and the reason I think the music had such an effect on me is we just used to sing all the time round the table oh. every time we ended up having a drink the cousins would, or would be around and the aunts and uncles and then a few drinks go down and then suddenly we'd be like right your turn for a song and then you'd have to bloody sing whether you, wow. whether you had a song or not <laughs> but that is I mean it, I, I feel like a lot of Irish parties end up that way it's such a, a cliched kind of thing but like a lot of the parties I went to when I was growing up and family parties as well would end up with someone getting the guitar out of the piano out I mean that's probably not a, a um, exclusive to Irish culture but it's definitely familiar to me too well sure we didn't even have a, a, a guitar or anything we just had, had vodka and our voices <laughs> that was about it it's funny talking about Ireland and country music though as well because people don't really realise how um, you know, we all remember the Garth Brooks controversy of 2016 or whatever it was. Was 2016? Um, country music yes. is, is a consistent uh, but like an unspoken part of um, Irish culture. It's true. It's true. It, it's uh, and sometimes, uh, unfortunately, the Irish country and Irish, as they call it, because that's a that's a that's a genre. Country and Irish. It's, it's a genuine. It's its own thing. Like here, uh, and you know. You know, Daniel O'Donnell slips in there to country and Irish, you know, yeah. and uh, you've got some really embarrassing ones like Big Tom and... Um, Big Tom and the Ramblers. Oh, there yes. There you go. And Big Tom and the Mainliners. 
What were they oh. mainlining? <laughs> <laughs> Country music. That doesn't sound very wholesome family entertainment. <laughs> I just remember we used to get these um, these phone top up cards to make calls and so forth to top up our phone credit uh, when we were growing up. And the the most common one you could get had a big old picture of Garth Brooks on it. Do you remember that, Karen? Yes, I do. I do. <laughs> he yes, was I everywhere. do. Jesus. See, I, I worked in a in a record shop, and we about a, a quarter of our whole like um, profitability from the shop was based on country and western in in sort of late 80s early 90s when 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 MTV Europe's first started up and they had the the country MTV stuff and it was all Garth Brooks and Hal Ketchum and all these other people and I, god the mornings when those CDs came into the shop was torture absolutely <laughs> 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 yeah there, there's certain people who I feel like I I really can't find I mean I love country music but just not that kind of country music and I feel like I would never be able to find common ground with the people who would go in on release day to buy CDs of that music or or, 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 or get a, a tattoo of Gar- I mean there's people who get tattoos of <laughs> Garth Brooks you know that big debacle about Garth Brooks and his shows here the four that yeah, he had to cancel yeah of course cancel? the controversy of course oh my god well there's people who got tattoos on their arms like basically commemorating <laughs> the actual event before it happened and then it never happened I was going to say it didn't happen, did it? No, never happened. Never happened. That is so brilliant. Oh man! They've still got the tattoo to prove it. (laughs) Never forget. I mean, God, all of the Irish radio talk shows I remember were just lighting up. It was all anyone could talk about. The the whole Garth Brooks. It was entertaining. Uh, 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 That was. It was just a great news story that went on and on and on. You you should make a documentary about it. Really, really, that would be. (laughs) It would be great. An hour. You get an hour out of that. Definitely. (laughs) I would. An hour of people weeping for the fact that it still didn't happen. I think people would be very disappointed to see Ireland in that night. Maybe we should keep it a dirty little secret, you know. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it's funny, actually, just before we move on, the, 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 the thing about country, funny you mentioned country music quite a lot, is that that particular record, that dance set record player that I lay on the floor, listen to music mm-hmm. over and over again with, that's where I first heard, the next thing I remember hearing was... Uh, Folsom Prison Blues by Johnny Cash. Yeah, that's and my still dad went out and bought, oh my God, he went out and bought Folsom, uh, Live at Folsom Prison. And I just knew that, I knew that record back to front, you know, mm. and loved singing those songs. Um, so, like my dad was not a country and Western fan, but that, that really wasn't country music in the same way. Mm. It was just, it was kind of like American folk music yeah, or something, exactly. you know. That's a cool yeah. thing to be into when you're a kid. How old were you when you uh, when you learned that record? Back well, I looked home? that up actually, and that album came out in 1968. Mm. Um, so by 1970, I think we had it in 1970, and I was born in 1964. So uh, although it was late 1964, so I would have been five and a half years That's old with your eye patch listening to Fast yeah. and Prison Blues <laughs> and, a ca- and a cowboy hat on, you know. Hey. <laughs> That's marvelous. That's real country music to me. That that kind of eighties new country thing. That was that was vile. But I do like the like the proper old stuff. You know, where it's actually when you listen to it, it takes you back to that kind of memory that you you built up yourself from watching films on a Sunday afternoon with your mum. I was so Kieran, tell us about your uh, tell us about your next phonographic memory because we skip forward a few years here. Tell us about this one. Yeah, this is. Um... This is the late 70s, uh, and oh boy, again, Dublin was in the doldrums then. It was really quite grim. Um, and, you know, 
nobody used to come to play in Dublin, like, like artists, musicians, you know, very few international artists used to come uh, to play. Uh, and in fact, um, Madonna famously said when she was asked, would she come and play in Ireland? She said, well, why would I play in somebody's backyard when I can play in the main house? Ooh, yeah, she's yeah. yeah. cold. She just doesn't <laughs> like the Catholics. I mean, let's be honest. Not. She's afraid of causing controversy. But anyway, oh, she's she's on the shit list now. Yeah. <laughs> she eventually that, she eventually did come to play here. However, now they all come crawling back. <laughs> yeah, she. We made her eat shit. So, <laughs> <laughs> so okay, if you can picture this, uh, you know, I was a I was a grumpy teen, um, and. Um, desperately looking for something new and sick of Ireland, you know, to be honest, you know. So uh, we were also also begging my parents to take us on holidays somewhere else besides the west of Ireland, <laughs> right? You know, it was just every bloody summer we'd go to Mayo, like, you know, we were just, we just, and all our friends were going to Spain or, you know, well, mostly Spain, actually, you yeah. know what I mean? So we just wanted to go somewhere foreign, somewhere on a boat or on a plane, so, you know, the pressure, my, pressured my dad uh, and eventually he agreed he would bring us somewhere on a plane, a boat. And we ended up sailing to the Isle of Man. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> like the Spread West of Ireland, wings. but in England. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, basically. Yes. So we were, just, you know, we were just delighted that we were crossing water, mm. you know, to go somewhere. So anyway, so we made we, we, we were making the best of best of this uh, trip to. Anyway, we arrived in Douglas. And the day we arrived, we checked into the hotel and it was like one of those hotels that had, was on the, I don't know if you know the Isle of Man, but there's a big long promenade and a lot of hotels along the promenade. And then there's like trams going up and down the promenade. And it's quite pretty, but it's mm. very genteel, you know, it's very mm. genteel. So we checked into our hotel, went up to the room. And whilst we were up there in the room, we came back downstairs, the news was on. And Mountbatten had been blown up by the IRA mm. in the west of Ireland. Yeah. Uh, my dad was just absolutely freaked out, right? Because there were no other Irish people in that we could we could hear in the hotel, and everybody was in a state of shock that Mountbatten had been blown up by the IRA. Mm. So my dad said to said to us, said, "Look, whatever you do, don't talk too loud. Keep your voices down." <laughs> Because I don't think we're going to be that welcome, to be mm. honest, you know. Something terrible has happened. The IRA have blown up Mountbatten. We didn't even know who Mountbatten was. Mm. So we got a quick lesson on who Mountbatten was. And we went downstairs to the TV room. They had, you know, these are the days when there was TV rooms in the hotel. <laughs> and uh, full of just people just staring at one television on one station in the corner. Wow. And they were all watching the news and all watching sort of the story of Mountbatten, basically. So my dad just kind of went, we can't sit here. Um, we have to get out of here. Like, this is madness, right? So he said, let's go to the cinema. So by way of trying to cheer the, 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 the moment up, he took us to see a terrible film, <laughs> Moonraker, the James Bond film. Probably oh, the worst James yeah. Bond film, it's right? A yeah, so it's it a comedy, like comedy. <laughs> Yeah, really it is, yeah. There's, it's more tried for laughs than anything else, you know. Um, so he took us to the cinema and um, we did our, best to try and, uh, uh, did our best to try and cheer us up, but it was just miserable. So we came out of the cinema um, thinking, like, we can't really go back to the hotel and we've got to keep our mouth... We've got to keep quiet. We can't speak too loud <laughs> because 
I mean, my dad was just being paranoid, but, you know, he just didn't know how to, what to do, like, you know. Um, so we, he, we, I, came out of the, I came out of the cinema and there was a, there was a burger van just opposite the uh, uh, exit to the cinema. And this little burger van had a radio sort of a wireless kind of attached to uh, kind of a pole stuck out of it as he was frying his burgers up. And this music came out of the, um, of the speaker and it was gangsters mm. by the specials, right? I didn't know what it was, but I just heard this, this music. So I wasn't hungry or anything like that. I went over and I started queuing up just to listen to the music, right? <laughs> I told my dad, I said, I need, I need to find out what that is, right? So he said, okay. So I started queuing up and eventually it came to my turn in the queue and the guy says, um, what can I get you? And I said, what's that on the radio? And he said, uh, <laughs> what? I said, what's that, on the, what's that playing on the radio? He says, oh, I, I have no idea what that is. It's the radio playing, right? So what do you want to eat? He said, nothing. I just, I just wanted to hear what was on the radio. He said, okay, next, please. So I, sat, I stood there beside it, listened to it, and eventually John Peel came on and told us who it was, right? God bless and him. I just couldn't believe that sound. I'd never heard ska. I never really heard reggae. I'd never heard anything like it before. And it was just one of those, those musical moments I will never forget, you know? record stores to see if they could find this and it hadn't even been properly released yet particularly to the Isle of Man you know <laughs> yeah I can imagine so, that was a slow yeah, boat a slow boat and so we tramped back to the hotel and looked into the tv room where they were all watching the Edinburgh tattoo <laughs> <laughs> big nights in small hotels right <laughs> with with tears running down their cheeks because of uh, Mount Batten and, yeah uh, I can imagine. it was such a big deal at the time I you know, that was a was huge deal, yeah. Huge deal. Because, you know, it was in the Republic of Ireland, mm. actually. That's the, like, never before had there been any IRA activity in the Republic of Ireland. Um, there'd been a bit in, in, in London and there'd been a bit in, in like, obviously quite a lot in, in Northern Ireland, but this is the first time it really had crossed the border um, and that they'd hit the royal family, mm. you know. Um, so it was a, but anyway, this song just cheered me up no end and made me forget about all of that terrible stuff that happens. Um, but as a teenager, I didn't care. I just wanted to listen to the specials for the rest of my life. You know? <laughs> uh, and as soon as I got back to Dublin, uh, I, uh, I, I found the song and, you know, listened to it to, to death, wore it out 
on my yeah, record. It's, it's actually one of my favourites of the specials. I, I love the way it starts with the screeching mm. car tyres oh, and someone God. shouting in this broad yes. Jamaican accent. It sounds so exotic, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, I didn't know where it was coming from. I just thought, like, is that coming from the radio or is that coming from... Is it a bit of Moonraker that's just come, <laughs> come, out, come out of the cinema? But it's so weird sounding the beginning of it. It's mm. really, really it's futuristic almost, mm. you know. Years later, I met, I, I, had the, at the, I was fortunate enough to meet Terry Hall. Mm. Uh, and I, we were, I had a drink with him and I told him the story and he, was, he just looked at me with his mouth open. <laughs> That's a that's a hell of a story for one song, like you know, mm, and yeah. and there was no real end to it for him. Like for me, I was just trying to say, you've no idea how much that song meant yeah. when I heard it yeah. first. Like it kind of probably went over his head a little bit, or underneath underneath <laughs> the, the radar for him, you know. But it's but, I can uh, just imagine, you know, when you're a kid or a teenager and you have very little control over your own environment, you know, and something shocking like that happens that you feel is kind of, uh, you know, uh, you're not an adult, so it's not your problem to deal with, but it's just happening around you. And then you go and see this terrible film. It almost feels like in moments like that, I mean, I think this is true generally of music you fall in love with at that particular age. But in moments like that, it just feels like a track finds you. It just feels so serendipitous. And that's why, you know, it kind of lodges in your brain forever. Yeah, it's it's. Um, and again, it was a, it was actually like the Red Red Robin. It was a, it kind of obliterated the misery mm. Of, mm. of, of our holiday so far, you mm. know, and actually dominated the holiday because I did get to hear it on the radio a couple of times in the Isle of Man since then, mm. since that happened, you know. So, but it took away all the, I mean, we'd had a, 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 a vicious boat crossing with, with seasickness. <laughs> we arrived in a crappy hotel only to learn about Mountbatten being blown up. And then we went to a crap film and then we came out and then this song just made everything evaporate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that is a lovely thing. And I, I'm always interested in, in, in how people come across their songs. And I, I like this uh, this whole idea of uh, just being so taken by a sound from, from well, a burger van, a random thing like that, that you actually, you actually decide to stand there and queue up and ask. I mean, that, <laughs> that is a proper... How old are you again? Oh, uh, probably 14. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good age to find the specials, isn't it? Eh? And, I, and I remember the guy, I couldn't believe that the guy didn't know what the song was. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> I, I thought he was, he'd chosen it and this was, he'd set the scene, you know what I mean, with this piece of music. And he just, a random, he just twiddled it to the radio, Radio 1, and that was it, you know, and... So he I threw away all his credit attention. there. He, he could have come out yeah. of that sounding like a right dude, but instead he's yeah, like, oh, I yeah, don't yeah. know, what do you want for a burger? <laughs> then about your third and final phonographic memory Kieran okay so we're again we're skipping forward 10 years in fact um, and uh, I'm not sure if you were when you were living in Ireland um, 
probably. Mm-hmm. Um, like, in, until 1993, it was illegal to be gay mm-hmm. in, in Ireland, you know. Now, not, they didn't really go around busting people on the streets for being gay or anything, but it was actually in the law that if you were gay, you could be imprisoned for up to 30 years, mm. you know. Yeah, so, geez. Yeah, until 1993, it's mad. Wow. I mean, I remember, I think I was 12 or something when divorce was made legal. Yes. <laughs> it's, Ireland yes. is very behind the time. I mean, scarily, yeah. when you, th- like you say, 1993, I mean, that's crazy. It's crazy. And, yeah. and, and things have really kind of skipped along since then, thankfully, you know, with the marriage referendum and uh, repeal the eighth, which I'm sure you're mm. aware of, mm. you know, all of those things have kind of brought us kicking and screaming up into the 21st century. But, but um, back then, um, the dance music had started to infiltrate uh, the city of Dublin, particularly. And, but it was very hard to get to listen to it anywhere or get to do what it's supposed to do, to dance to something. I mean, really, you'd be going into to nightclubs and, you know, it was born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. And <laughs> that doesn't sound so bad. No, okay. oh, I don't know. I, I, wouldn't, I, okay. I, I wouldn't swap that for, you know, Apex Twin or whatever. Okay. There's a time and a place, I get it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just got that stomping beat, you know, it was that and like whatever you want by status quo and, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. It was just really like, what are we Bit doing? Bit of country here? rock, I imagine, uh, slipping in there, some Thin oh, Lizzy, yeah, whatever. Totally. Like, thin Lizzy would have, been, would have been a blessing, you know? Um, so it was very hard to find anywhere that that it was i mean it was chart music i guess a lot of it and then some some not so good chart music and but so the dance the dance scene really hadn't really evolved and there was only one place or two places that we could find where you could find dance music uh and they were gay clubs so i went into this we went to this gay club called sides which is um there was two gay clubs or three there was one called sides one called flickers and one called Honestly, the shaft. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's a good name for a gay club. It I like that. It certainly is. Absolutely. I saw one in Arizona called Boot Camp, and I thought that was good, but the shaft might, <laughs> might, might beat us. Um, so we, I remember the first time we went in there, we managed to get in there. And, um, you know, uh, it wasn't that there was with a bunch of gay guys. Um, and I, I, I knew at that stage that I wasn't gay. But I knew that I wanted to dance, and I knew that I, wa- I knew that there was an alternative uh, scene out there somewhere, uh, mm. and I wanted to be involved in it somehow, or just you know access it. Um, otherwise, I'm going to be stomping around to born in the USA for the rest of my <laughs> life, you know. So I went into this club, and they put on this thing. I didn't know what it was. Again, it felt like talk about the beginning of of. Uh, the beginning of gangsters, you know, when when this mm. thing Stacker Humanoid came on, what I felt like I was in another another dimension that was <laughs> I was in, like you know, and I couldn't I couldn't help myself but dance, like you know, and and it kind of just basically sealed the deal for me with dance music, and um, I'm afraid I was there every Friday night <laughs> after that, like until until I finished art school and then went to went to London and. Uh, Find bigger, better clubs to go yeah. to there, you know. Mm. So. Hardcore, you know the score. I, yeah. I mean, that track is one of my all-time favourite electronic tracks for sure. Really? Uh, wow. Oh God, yeah. Because I had yeah. the 
not not quite the same experience, but the same moment of like, where does that come from? What is that? Because the thing about Stack of Humanoids, um, check the playlist listeners, uh, it'll be on there. But the thing about it is when it starts, I think it's this, it might be the snowman mix or the, there's one mix that's particularly prevalent. And it starts with this do, 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 do. And it goes on for quite a long time quite kind of almost ambient but grooving um yeah. you know, electronic sounds but it's not it's just it gets you in a place where you feel quite comfortable and then it shouts humanoid in your face and rips <laughs> your head apart with acid that you've never i mean the acid line on that you play it now it sounds as fresh as it did in 1988 or whatever it was but that's right it does it's it's kind of like about a third of the way and it goes <laughs> that's it that's it that's it We were so starved of this kind of music that actually I remember with a friend of mine in art school getting the 12 inch of that and basically making a tape which extended the track till it was 45 minutes long. Yeah. And just basically putting that, because I knew you would dance to it for 45 minutes at least, <laughs> rather than change it to some lesser track that you could try to dance yeah. to. We just kept it going for 45 minutes. Remix, remix, remix. Yeah, rewind that, rewind it. Yeah, it, yeah. It's funny uh, you talking about there being such a dearth of that kind of music in Ireland because um, I think I must be a bit younger than you. And when yeah. I was sort of coming of age uh, and becoming aware of popular music and watching chart shows and stuff, it would have been the mid 90s and dance music was huge. And it, it was it was beyond me. You know, at, at that time, I wasn't uh, mature enough to, to really understand it. Although I remember when I was in primary school, there were kids going around with Josh Wink, higher state of consciousness and stuff like that on their cassette Walkmans. And um, I, I just to me, it's it feels so uh, integral to the the uh, to music culture in Dublin. It's weird thinking about a time when it, it wasn't available to people. Yeah, it was. I mean, it, it, you know, I think things picked up pretty quickly. Maybe mm. five years. All of a sudden, bang! You know, uh, acid. The acid. The summer of love was eighty seven, wasn't it? You know what I mean. So mm. this was just just after that, I think, uh, eighty eight. Uh, but the summer of love didn't really. I mean, there wasn't really the same kind of traveling to a rave thing at all and that I remember anyway and I would have been trying my best to find out about that kind of stuff. You know? <laughs> if you find out you've missed it now you're going to be pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave that chapter closed. Yeah. In case. <laughs> best not to know. Yeah exactly you know yeah. ignorance is bliss but um, yeah so uh, and, and it did uh, in fact uh, in about 1990 I ended up doing a little bit of DJing mm. and trying to get some of that music in there, like, you know, which was a little bit, people were a bit resistant to it. It was in a, it was in a kind of a, what they used to call a disco bar, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And, Sounds uh, like I, me and Anne would love that place. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was a place actually, maybe you know it, Anne, it used to be called the Pygmalion mm. and, now, and now it's called, and, and now it's called, um, I think it's called the Hairy Lemon now. Mm. What, a, what, a, what a jump. But um, <laughs> they, 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 they had a 
a cage underneath, like a cage underneath the stairs that went upstairs. And in this cage, they had a deep, like a, like a, I, I got them to put a, a, a double decks in there, some decks in there, you know. So that's where we used to play the records. And because it was a cage, you couldn't get knocked around the place by people trying to dance and stuff Amazing. like that. You know? no, we yeah, there was that. no dance, there was no dance floor in the place at all. It was just people <laughs> hopping around the bar, like, you know. Um, so eventually, I hope I was, I had a part in try, in sort of bringing some of this music to these people who would not necessarily be hopping about to this music. And it was it was uh, it was certainly fun seeing their reaction to Stacker Humanoid when we put that on for forty five yeah, minutes. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of blew up, didn't it? It blew yeah. everything out of out of the way that was there before it. As you say, like two guitars, drums, and a singer, like and a bassist was gone. Boom. Yeah, there was a good you know? three or four years where basically uh, I didn't. I don't think I, the only thing that cut through was Nirvana. Never mind. Yes. And nothing else got through the wall of techno that we built. <laughs> he scaled the wall of techno, did he, before he went <laughs> and went over the other side then. <laughs> oh, well, it's a great choice anyway. And thank you so much for sharing your phonographic memories with us today. I really enjoyed that. It's and I know we've pleasure. all... Uh, oh, we've definitely... It's been really fun, actually. I really oh. enjoyed it. Yeah, oh, I really, great. really enjoyed it. It's great to chat to you guys. Yes, lovely okay. to hear your voice again. So what, what, what are your plans now? I know you were... You were making the racer and that was yeah. fairly close to the end of being finished wasn't it and then it all went crazy so where are you it What's all going went on? nuts basically um i was due to go to um south by southwest uh to the there's a film and music festival that happens there you probably are aware of it's a big mm. uh, big festival that happens in texas mm. and uh it was due to premiere there on friday the 13th of march Oh Jesus! Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you made your yeah, bed yeah. there. <laughs> Honest to God, right? You know, so it was canned at the very last minute. The festival—it was the first festival to go. Actually, I remember? Yeah, I remember yeah. hearing about it. Yeah, that's a so, shame. Yeah, and uh, that was going to be the launch pad for the film. Um, now the film has been sold to America and um, the UK and various different territories, but you know, it's. It changes weekly uh, as opposed to uh, as regards when it's going to be released in these territories, you know. So mm. uh, the original plan was in mid-September. It was going to come out in America and the same in Belgium and Luxembourg and, and Holland. But now we don't know now and we don't know yeah. about the UK because, you know, there's, it's been, you know, soon it's been opening and then closing. And so I don't know. I'm sorry. I wish I could be more uh, precise about that because it would be a nice way to to promote the film but all well, I we can, can say keep is, an eye out for yeah, it yeah that's yeah a, that's that's to look certainly will do yeah. that then maybe there'll be another screening in the riverside and we can all get together can i be an no, honorary no, cousin is there room yeah. for one more cousin no, definitely yeah it's always cousin, another cousin 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 frankenstein is coming along <laughs> <laughs> no one will notice i'll just slip in <laughs> <laughs> really.